You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Well, good morning. And I want you to remember the happiest moment of your life. Day, a party, the birth of a child. Maybe for you, it was a day that you received an awesome gift, something that was just overwhelmingly extravagant or meaningful for you. Maybe you went on a vacation that was just a great vacation. Maybe you went to Disneyland, the happiest place (laughs) on earth, right? Think about that for a moment. You have something in mind at least, maybe a top three or, you know, something like that. Now, I want you to, to rate that as a 10, if that's the happiest moment of your life, let's say that's a 10 out of 10. That's the, you know, the, the 10 on the happiness scale. Now, what I want you to do is just think about today, this week, how happy are you compared to that? Are you even close to that? Are you a five out of 10? If that's the happiest moment of your life, and you have that in your mind this week, are you a five out of 10, a three out of 10, a one, a two out of 10. The reality is joy is a fruit of the spirit. It's something that God wants to fill your life with. And yet for so many of us, we don't always experience it. In fact, it's almost a misconception that being a Christian will make your life miserable. We kinda, I, I kind of hear that sometimes. Or, well, yeah, you know, if you follow Jesus, there's all the rules and the regulations, and those are really just things that will suck the fun out of your life. I heard something like that on Christian radio a couple weeks ago, actually. Like, yeah, you know, you got to follow these rules, and you can't have as much fun as the rest of the world, but at least you get saved, right? It's kind of like this trade-off <laughs> that, you know, as long as you live a, a really unhappy life, then God will save you. And we joke about that, but... Honestly, we kind of feel this almost envy to the world. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that the things in this world can't make you happy. And uh, joy really is a, a feeling. It is a good feeling that we get. Psalm 73, verses two and three say this, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I bet that Jeff Bezos is probably enjoying a great breakfast today. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, right? Just incredibly like filthy rich, you could say that. Like when he laughs, it sounds like an evil villain laughing. <laughs> in his spare time, he builds rockets so that he could just check out what's going on in space, right? Like that's that's the kind of riches that he has. And it'd be foolish to pretend, or naive maybe even to pretend, that having lots of money and being able to get whatever you want won't give you a good feeling, right? And we can acknowledge that and admit that and maybe even wrestle with that own tension. Maybe there's been people in your life, maybe not Jeff Bezos level, you know? If you know him, let me know. Uh, But people in your life that you're like, they don't follow God, and it seems like they're generally happy that they're getting lots of things that they want, they're you know, maybe partying, they're, they're, they're experiencing pleasure, and really the happiness of the world is based on three main things. Number one is just feeling good, feeling good. 
You're doing things that make you feel good. Maybe it's substances. Maybe it's just any kind of gratification. The second thing is getting what you want, having a desire and fulfilling it. It might be a physical thing, getting like a possession that you want, getting maybe a job that you want, a car that you want, the family that you want. Or the third main thing that the the happiness in the world is based on is things going well. How are things going? Things are going well. I'm happy. How are things going? Things aren't going well. I'm unhappy, right? Do you see that? And... Those three things actually can give you joy. They can give you happiness. And yet, what I want to highlight here is the incredible fragility of the happiness of the world. How can you still be happy when things aren't going well? How can you still be happy when you can't get what you want? I mean, happiness in some ways in the measure of the world is a luxury for the rich and the powerful. What if you can't afford to get what you want? And even then, what if you aren't feeling good anymore, right? There's this, there's this law of diminishing returns of chasing this feeling that is ever fleeting. And that's really the difference between worldly happiness And what we can call the joy of the Lord is there's a stability and a consistency and a happiness that you can experience in Christ even in the worst moment of your life. This is how John Tyson defines Christian joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. So this is, it is a feeling. It's something that you experience, a good feeling in the soul. But where does it come from? It's produced by who? Everyone say it. The Holy Spirit, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Holy Spirit grows in us. The, the final verse in Acts chapter 13 is the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection. If you have the Holy Spirit, this kind of joy is accessible to you. As he causes us to see the beauty of God in the word and in the world. So there's this idea that Christian joy, the kind of joy we're talking about, is not based on getting what you want, gratifying any desire. It's not based on things going well or external circumstances. It's based on this this beautiful reality of God's Holy Spirit in you who's helping you focus on the beauty of God. So here's my definition of joy for today. Joy is the feeling you get from being satisfied in God. It's the feeling you get when your, your satisfaction, your contentment, what you're looking for in life is wholly based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I would say that is the reason why so many Christians aren't actually experiencing the joy. Not because they have too many rules or it's too legalistic. I think the reason is we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to get some joy from the Lord And we're also trying to get some joy from the things of this world. And so for you, if you have this kind of lasting joy today, I want to show you how you can have more of it. And for you, if you're saying that maybe you're struggling with joy, maybe you're experiencing a really low moment in your life, maybe things aren't going well, you're not getting what you want, you don't feel good today, the good news of the gospel is you can still experience in a deeply profound sense the joy 
of the Lord. We're gonna look at our main teaching text. It's 1 Peter chapter one. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Peter. It's a little bit longer passage. And just for some context, the apostle Peter is writing to a persecuted church. He's writing to a church that is not having things go well for them externally. They're having things go very poorly for them. And I want you to catch how he opens his letter to the church. 1 Peter chapter one, we'll jump in at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I love how he starts with that word, Blessed. Everyone say blessed. blessed. He says, blessed be God. This reminds me of the book of Job. I don't know if you've ever struggled to read through the book of Job. It's a long book, and it's a book about suffering. And there's this line in Job 121 where all of this incredibly horrendous stuff has happened to Job, really at the hands of the devil. Uh, his children all die. He loses all of his riches. It's like the opposite of Jeff, Jeff Bezos, right? He's living like the worst that life has to offer. And he says this line in Job 121, blessed be the name of the Lord. Did you catch that? He still finds a way to bless God. It reminds me of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 where they're imprisoned, wrongfully imprisoned, and they've actually just been beaten severely and what are they doing in prison? They're singing hymns to God. And, and you look at these great examples in scripture of people when things are going very, very badly for them. Not just they didn't have a great week, they're going extremely badly for them. They're able to somehow conjure up enough joy to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's the kind of joy that Peter has, and he wants to infuse in the church. He wants to infuse in our lives. And that joy, there's this, this connection between the joy of the Lord and what Peter calls a living hope. There's a connection between what your hope is in and the joy that you have. Tim Keller says it like this, you can't get through life unless you learn how to get through suffering, and you can't get through suffering unless you have a living hope. And that's just a matter of fact, that suffering is a part of the world that we live in. It's a part of the present age. It will be your experience. If it's not your experience today, it will be your experience at some point in your life. So we need to answer this question, how do we have joy in the midst of suffering? And that comes from this thing called a living Hope. The last two years have been extremely revealing because it's revealed to us how unsteady many of our hopes have been, how insecure our hopes have been. For so many people, maybe you've put your hope in money and then the stock market goes down. You put your hope in stuff and then they come out with yet another iPhone way sooner than the last one and you're like, come on, I just got the last one. Maybe your hope was in security and comfort. Maybe your hope is in relationships and those relationships are struggling. Maybe your hope was in your career and then you got let go from your job. Maybe your hope was in accomplishments. Maybe your hope is in health. Maybe your hope is in 
beauty or physical appearance. Those are just a small sampling of the kinds of things that people put their hope in. And I want you to see that all of those things are not living hopes. They're things that can be taken away in a moment, taken away in a large scale. And even if you can kind of, like I said, even if you have the the power or the resources to kind of, you know, curate your life so that those other hopes are actually going well for a long period of time, which I would say is a, a very small percentage of people are able to control those factors, even if that's the case, and you somehow can kind of skate through life experiencing the best things that the world has to offer, the reality is none of those things can save your soul from death. John Piper puts it like this, and this is, this is a stark example, but I think it's very important for us to talk about. We're talking about joy. He says this, um, if it were not for the death of Jesus in our place, the only possible joy would be the joy of delusion, like the joy on the Titanic just before it hit the iceberg. Without the cross, joy could be sustained only by denying, consciously or subconsciously, the inevitability of divine judgment. In fact, That's the kind of joy that drives most of the world, a joy that preserves the power of its pleasure by being oblivious to the perils just ahead. Their joy depends on their ignorance. And you say, aren't we supposed to be talking about happiness today? What's with all of this divine judgment and wrath? But I think if we're gonna have a true joy, we have to understand the true gospel. And Jesus said something very similar. What does it gain you? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What he's saying is even if you have the perfect life right now and you haven't had your soul saved from death, if you haven't responded to the gospel, what does it actually get you in the end? And yet the gospel is good news that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, and that good news actually produces joy. Look at the angel's announcement. This is Luke chapter two. This is, this is in the Christmas story, but I think it's so helpful for us. The angels, they say this to the shepherds, I bring you good news of what? Great joy that will be for who? All people. Are you all people? Am I all people? Is your neighbor all people? This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel, yes, it includes the fact that there is divine judgment for our sins and for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is God loves the world so much that he sent his son Jesus, that he sent him to this world so that he could actually suffer in our place and die on the cross for the sins of the world and be raised back to life so that we might experience not just forgiveness of sins, but we might experience this thing called eternal life. Not just one day when we go to heaven, but right here, right now, you can have eternal life and that will be great joy for all people. We might say it like this. Here's my main point for today. The good news of Jesus outweighs the bad news of life. And there's a lot of bad news in this world. 
doesn't take long scrolling on social media or on your favorite news app or just looking at the TV screen. There's a lot of bad news in life. We personally experience bad news so much of the time. But the good news of Jesus is that you can have great joy despite all of that. Or as Peter describes it, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It cannot be taken away from you. And I want to tell you that kind of joy can be yours today. If you've never responded to the gospel, I would say to you today, today can be the day that you have a living hope. You can pray today and ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. We'll have some members of the prayer team down here after service. We would love to talk with you and pray with you as you make that decision of faith. And we always encourage people to respond the way Jesus instructed us, which is through baptism. Baptism being that ceremony of officially declaring your faith in Jesus. If you want more information, you can check out our website, hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But when you have a living hope, all of a sudden, you have these unshakable things. Or as, or, or, or as we read in Ephesians last summer, you have every blessing in the heavenly realms. You get an imperishable body one day that you don't have to worry about it failing and fading. You have perfect community and relationships forever. You can be in God's presence and have this deep sense of joy from knowing God. And a living hope that we have is the thing that sustains us through the trials of life. But even if you have a living hope, you will still experience trials. And I wanna kind of dig a little bit deeper, and, and Peter continues in 1 Peter Chapter one, verse six, he says this, in this you rejoice, so he's referring to the living hope. He's not saying you rejoice in the bad things happening to you. He's not saying you have to be happy that you're suffering. But he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, even if it's your whole life, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's this connection between spiritual formation and suffering and joy. It's all swirling around in the midst of these Things. The term that Peter uses to describe trials isn't necessarily specifically persecution. That's why I think it's so helpful for us, is it's various trials. That's literally anything. If you're facing a trial, you fit into that category of facing various trials. And when we suffer through trials in our lives, what happens is it's actually a testing of your faith. It's a way that God uses that fire to refine your faith and actually draw you closer to him. It's, it's very, very similar to what James says in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy. Notice, again, joy, right? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, any kind of trial that you face. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, perseverance, and steadfastness has its full effect, and that you may be perfect and complete. We might use the word mature there, lacking in nothing. 
And so there's this, there's this connection between the suffering, the trials that we face, and the spiritual formation, the maturity that we receive. Uh, the, the, the path of discipleship that we like to talk about here is we kind of think everyone fits into one of these five, one of these different five categories. You're either pre-faith, you don't have a faith in Jesus, new, you're young, you're growing, or you, you eventually reach maturity, and then that's when you start to see multiplication in the seeds. The cycle repeats, right, at that point in time. The reality is we look at this discipleship path, and what happens is we tend to think, okay, reading the Bible, prayer, going to church, that, that kind of stuff helps you mature, and it does. Don't get me wrong, but biblically speaking, another major thing that helps move you along that path towards maturity, guess what it is? Suffering, and that's not a fun thing to talk about, but that's the reality, because what suffering does is it's like a fire and it refines your faith, yes, but, but think about this idea of it's difficult to see your need for God when things are going well. I think about the warnings that Moses gave the, the Israelites that would go into the promised land. He said, yes, you know you need God here in the wilderness, but when things are going well, when the land is flowing with milk and honey, you're gonna forget really fast your need for God. It's really difficult for us to recognize or to have a felt need for God when the things of this world, which we've talked about, aren't living hopes, they're, they're fading hopes or insecure hopes, but when those things are actually kind of meeting some needs and they're kind of fulfilling some desires and they're making you feel good. But in the storm, on the battlefield, I think of Psalm 46 where God is our refuge and our strength, a refuge only does you good if you're inside of it. Do you realize that? And so when it's sunny outside and, and things are going well and there's peace, how easy do we kind of stray away from the refuge that our soul needs? And then as soon as there's trouble, testing, suffering, trial, that's when we run back to God as our refuge. And it's actually our proximity to God that determines the amount of joy and fruit, the fruit of the spirit that we see. C.S. Lewis puts it so eloquently. He says this, good things as well as bad are caught by a kind of infection. We know something about infection, COVID, pandemic, all that, right? If you wanna get warm, you must stand near the fire. Makes sense. If you wanna get wet, you must get into the water, right? You can't stand on the side of the pool and say, this pool is so great. I love enjoying this pool, right? If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. That's the connection between suffering and spiritual formation and joy, is that suffering forces our hand to recognize those fading hopes, they're not actually cutting it. They're, they're not actually providing security. They're crumbling foundations. And the only certain, unshakable foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. And suffering drives us back to God as our refuge so that our proximity is now closer to him. And the closer we are to God, who is the source of all joy in the universe, you think if you're closer to the source or further from the source, you're gonna experience more of it, right? The closer you are to the source of all joy in the universe, the more joy you will experience, even if externally you're facing 
a trial. And, and that's, that's a living hope, if you ask me. That's a hope that will get you through the worst moments of life. And God grows you, the closer we are to him, God grows you, there's spiritual formation, and that's good, right? Gro- like growth brings us happiness, we, we recognize, so that even when we don't face a storm in life or a trial in life, we know I don't wanna stray from proximity to God. I wanna keep what God is providing as the life source for my soul. And Peter continues in verse eight, he says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, though, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's one of the best phrases for joy. Rejoice with a joy inexpressible. I want you to recall that moment that we started with, the happiest moment of your life. What if I told you that that wasn't as good as it gets? What if I told you that on a scale, instead of that being 10 and the rest of your life barely measures up to it, what if I told you that was a one? What if I told you that was a point one? And the kind of joy, that's, that's joy, rejoicing with a joy inexpressible. The kind of joy that God has for you means that the happiest moment of your life now is just scratching the surface for the kind of joy that's available to you in the Holy Spirit. The kind of joy that's available to you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's this future hope aspect there's this idea that something in the future, you're actually ex- causing you to experience joy in the present. It makes me think about Christmas, right? People love Christmas, not just for December 25th. People love the whole Christmas season, right? The whole vibe, people would say nowadays, right? The whole, the, the whole it, it's that idea of there's this future thing. You know it's coming, December 25th, it's coming every year, right? And there's, there's you know, obviously we celebrate the birth of Christ and, and the, the significance of it, but just the reality is, but whenever you have that, you know, whatever it is, eggnog latte for me, or whenever you hear those Christmas songs, or whenever, like there's this, there's this, it makes you happy. It's, it's this, pre, and this is just an illustration, right? But, but there's this good feeling you get on December 3rd, or fourth, or fifth, leading up to something that you know with certainty it's coming. And that's the reality of the living hope we have in Christ, is there's this future reality that so often we kind of forget that Jesus Christ is coming back, that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place, that we have a beautiful home, we have a beautiful family, we have a beautiful community waiting for us, We have every tear that will be wiped away. We have sorrow that will be turned into joy. That's a certainty. It's a certainty awaiting for us. And when you know that that's coming, you have a living hope there, it actually causes you to experience joy right here, right now, today. In one small small moment, Jesus actually speaks to his disciples. Now, he's talking not about his second coming. He's talking about Good Friday, his death, and Easter Sunday, the resurrection. He's talking about 
those three days of suffering and sorrow. And he's not trying to minimize. He's not trying to say, don't be sad about that, because it will be very sad. This is what he says in John 16, verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. The reality is that for every Good Friday, there's an Easter Sunday. For every suffering, for every trial, for every death that we experience, there's a resurrection in the good news of the gospel. That's why the gospel is central to us being able to experience this kind of joy. It's not peripheral. It's not, well, I'm glad that I'm forgiven, but how can I get the most I can out of this present life? How can I get the most joy of this world? You know, Because otherwise I'm gonna miss out. The reality is the gospel is central to our experience of joy in this life. That's the only kind of joy that no one will be able to take from you. And that is, a, that is a, a joy worth having in your life. So how do we practice this kind of joy? We've talked about with the fruit of the spirit. These aren't necessarily things that you just try harder. I mean, how does that work when something really bad is happening and someone says, just cheer up, right? You can't flip a switch. This is a, it is a feeling, but it's a feeling produced by the Holy Spirit. And there are certain things that we can do, there are practices that we can do to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit growing these fruits in our lives. And the first one, there's two, two practices. The first practice is to enjoy God. Did you realize that? That we don't just enjoy God's gifts or his blessings, we enjoy God himself. We enjoy the presence of God. We talked about this a little bit last week with love. We talked about you know, slowing down in your spiritual disciplines so that you enjoy God's loving presence. The reality is something that might be a discipline, and I believe you know, spiritual disciplines, they do take discipline, right? Especially at first, if it's not a habit, it's gonna take discipline and a schedule and planning and all that sort of stuff. But disciplines should grow into desires, craving that time with God, craving prayer, craving worship, craving being a part of a church community. And and I would say, maybe you're not, you don't even feel that feeling right now, and you would say, well, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Spiritual disciplines, given enough time. So just kind of submit to the process. Be obedient. It's gonna take some of that discipline, given enough time, it's gonna grow into a desire and you're going to find that you crave that time with God. Psalm 27 verse four is a perfect example of what this looks like. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I wonder if somebody asked you, what could you have if you could only have one thing? How many of us would say, to gaze upon the beauty of God all the days of my life? And what that reveals is it reveals where we're trying to get our joy from. We're trying to get our joy from things that ultimately will not satisfy, that cannot fulfill those needs, that God himself is actually created to enjoy. Uh, God has created our hearts so that he is the only one that can satisfy truly. And I would just say this to you. For things like reading the Bible or prayer or going to church or those kind of things, uh, you don't have to do those things in ways that are unenjoyable to you. 
And I, and I, I was in youth ministry for years, and kind of a classic example is the student who's like, well, I just hate reading books, and the Bible is a book. And you're telling me that I'll get joy when I read the Bible and I can encounter God's presence, that's great. I hate reading books. And I would say, do you know there's like audiobooks, <laughs> right? And you can listen to the Bible while you're on a walk by the river. And you can actually, you can find way, like, does that make sense? Enjoying God means you find enjoyable ways to connect with God. Make it enjoyable to you. Do you take your spouse to their, to their least favorite restaurant? Obviously not, right? You find, like, you, you think about it. What could we do to connect that we would both find joy in? And do that thing. We need to take those same principles that we use in all of our human relationships in our relationship with God. Find places of beauty to spend time in prayer and silence and solitude. Find, find ways to, to do the spiritual disciplines in an enjoyable way. And I recognize there are some spiritual disciplines like fasting, right, that, that aren't necessarily that enjoyable. But there are other spiritual disciplines like celebration or feasting, you could say, that are. And we as followers of Jesus, if, you, if we wanna be a church, that lives out joy, not just for our own benefit to experience joy, because joy is great, right? It is a good thing for us to experience, but how appealing is that to the world? To show your friends, your neighbors, people in this world who are lost, that true joy actually is found in Jesus Christ alone. Not that come to church, we're all miserable. <laughs> it's a fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you in John 15, so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full, overflowing. Jesus expects you and me as his followers to actually be the happiest people in this world. And if that's not our experience, then I would say then we have misplaced our hopes and those, those hopes are not leading to a truly inexpressible kind of joy. So that primary place is to enjoy God. That's practice number one. Find, way, find enjoyable ways to connect with God. Commit to the spiritual disciplines. It might take discipline at first, but it'll grow into a desire over time. Practice number two is enjoy life in a godly way. So God created the world, and, and, and the, the word used time and time again in Genesis chapter one, is he looked at all he had made and it was good, right? So if God created the good world for us to experience, then there are good things in the world that will bring us joy. But I think the problem is that we've, what we've done is we've kind of misordered those things in our life. We've misordered those desires. Uh, and yet, God wants you to experience it. Like I said, the, the discipline of celebration and enjoying things, enjoying a good meal, enjoying someone's company, enjoying good music. I think about Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10, where Ezra, the priest, has spoken to the people and he's read the law. And it's kind of this season of rebuilding for uh, the Jews living still in the promised land, specifically in Jerusalem. Their walls have been broken down, they're rebuilding the walls, but now it's time to get the people, to bring about revival in the people. And what happens is Ezra reads the words of the law and the people are very sad because they realize they've been living in sin. And that's important. If we're gonna have 
true joy, we can't just keep living lives in rebellion against God. And so they're really saddened, and so that gives Ezra a clue that this is genuine repentance. They're genuinely repenting. But notice, notice what he's gonna say. He doesn't say, keep being miserable. Look at what he says. It's so interesting. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way after they've repented, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine. Maybe that's your like, right? Drink wine, what? That's in the Bible. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. He's telling them to go and throw a party for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved. And this is where that famous phrase says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. After we experience forgiveness, reconciliation with God, we can celebrate that. It's a good thing. And we can do things that God created as good to enjoy life. Here's the issue. I think the world really only asks one question. It's the Marie Kondo question. Anyone familiar with that organizer? The the question is, does it spark joy? This is really the, the one question that the world asks. And here's a little flow chart. If the answer is yes, then you can do it. And if the answer is no, it doesn't spark joy, don't do it. And that's, it's that simple, right? Here's the problem. There are things, and this is why we have to acknowledge this. That's why I want to start it with like, there are things in this world that are bad for you, that are ultimately bad for your relationships, bad for your family. There are sinful things that will still make you happy. And it's foolish to pretend that that's not true, okay? So... How do we enjoy life in a godly way? I just have a few more questions to add. This is an exhaustive list. Here's just a flow chart. So does it spark joy, yes or no? If it does, okay, ask this follow-up question. Did God create it for people to enjoy? Is it an off-limits thing? Or is God saying, no, that is something I've created in order to give you joy, you should do it. If the answer is yes, then ask the next, next question. Are you still putting God first? This is where a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing is what the Bible calls an idol, turns out to be a bad thing. So you can actually be over enjoying something, even a hobby of yours. If you're you're making it an idol and you're enjoying it more than God, then I would say, don't do it actually in that case or put better limits on that thing. And then the the last question is, are you following God's instructions for that thing? Are you doing it God's way? And if you can answer yes to all those questions, then I would say, enjoy it. Have that meal. Have that drink. Hang out with those people. Listen to that music. Go on that vacation. Those are good things God created for us to enjoy. Our primary source of joy is God, but then God has also created the world, and we should enjoy the world in a godly way. I want to close by reading the same passage we looked at during the Lord's Supper in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us set Jesus before us and experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.